0: Among what we will learn is what are the stages of starvation right on up to the point where your body starts eating itself. We also want to know what toll does this take on your mental state, being away from other human beings for that long. And we'll also learn the best way to defend yourself against a polar bear. All that and more on this episode of Star Talk Welcome to Star Talk Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide Star Talk begins right now This is Star Talk I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson here your personal astrophysicist and today we have a hybrid episode We've got a special guest who's an expert in survival oh my gosh we're gonna find out all about that and then we're gonna pivot to cosmic queries on that subject because we know people think about that my co-host Gary O'Reilly Gary always good to have you man hey Neil all right former soccer pro soccer announcer and we got him we share him with the rest of the soccer universe and Chuck Nice Chuck good to have you man that's right Former survivalist. You lying You are...
1: <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, I, let me I, let, let me just set the record straight here, okay? <laughs> I am a black man of a certain age Oh, Oh, different America. kind of survivalist. I get it. In America. Diff- I'm still standing. still standing. I'm a survivalist, okay? Okay, that's a
2: different kind of
0: survivalist. <laughs> but oh, let's yeah. find out. So, Gary, set us up here and tell us who our guest is.
2: Okay. All right, um... A little while ago, we had a question in one of our cosmic queries about how would an understanding of science in a wilderness survival situation be good? And, you know, we're not talking survivor. We're talking kind of alone, the one that airs on the History Channel. It's, it's who can tough it out for about 100 days in the middle of somewhere nowhere with nothing but some serious survival skills. From, from memory, our answer wasn't the best. Yeah. We needed a proper... Expert, uh, a real survival expert, and so our guest today is Dr. Timijin Tan, founder and owner of Survival Doctors, practicing medical doctor in Owen Sound, Ontario. That'll be in Canada. Served in the Canadian Armed Forces, specializing in Arctic warfare. What? And that's a thing. Yeah, he's an ice that's warrior. A thing. It is. Yeah. Mm. Hey, you know, that's got to be a thing when you're from Canada.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, it also, the skill set here involves survival medicine, disaster medicine, and disaster response. He was in series nine of the Alone series, survival series that airs on the History Channel. Oh. Um, yeah. First of all, Timujin Tan, MD. What's Arctic warfare all about, please?
3: Thank you, guys. So, um, cold weather warfare or Arctic warfare is the practice of any warfare in cold environments. So, that may be in the Arctic, subarctic. Or just in your backyard if there's an invasion and there's a cold weather. So you have to battle the elements logistically, move your troops between, and uh, know how to do assaults, win wars um, in cold environments. So now you know the biathlon came out of
1: Arctic warfare. And do you guys train that way too? Are you on skis and shooting and all that kind of stuff? Uh, everything that you would do in regular combat, uh, you're, you're
3: doing it also
1: like for. St- Snow
3: sports. I wish we had skis. That'd make us move a lot faster. But uh, snowshoes. Well, big old, goopy snowshoes. Uh, yeah, with, yeah, uh, yeah, About Tennis like rackets. 100 pounds on us, carrying 200 pounds on a sled. Wow. 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 So, when you think
0: about this, the history of our species before agriculture was primarily during the Ice Age. And so, when I think of survival, they, they survived because we're here today. So did you learn anything from whatever the books tell us about caveman survival versus what you might pick up in a modern 21st century understanding of survival?
3: I mean, a lot of the physiology in our bodies are the same. People go through severe hypothermia at around three hours of uh, too hot or too cold. So too cold in the situation. And the layering systems and waterproofing and shelters, those concepts don't really change. Uh, maybe the climate, the landscape, the predators do change, and the tools that we had. So I would say that the average person who survives multiple winters way back when was a much stronger and more formidable person than someone today with all these technologies.
0: Chuck, he just said that yeah. the winters
3: killed off everybody else, didn't he? Just
1: say that exactly. I think he just said that. That's basically <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and
0: exactly. Um,
1: so here's the deal, though. Um, when you're when you're a, survival, there are certain things that we need to survive, okay? Mm-hmm. Number one being water, and the second, like you just mentioned, is, you know, hypothermia in either way, right? You know, so hypo or hypothermia. So how do you get fire? How do you, if, if everything's frozen, how do you mm-hmm. get your water You know, all all these things are
0: just almost impossible just because everything is frozen. And if you drop most of us butt naked into the Arctic, we're dead, you know, a few hours later. So, so... Well, I'm mm. dead before you drop me because I (laughs) killed myself on
1: the way. Killed yourself on the
0: way. (laughs) Got a panic attack. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
3: Yeah, so um, so just to start off, uh, you mentioned water, you mentioned cold. One thing that people often forget is oxygen. So, without oxygen, you're, you're done in, in three minutes. So, oftentimes that's um, overlooked because we think about, uh, we take that for granted. But if we think about is, medical is, is emergencies. There absence,
1: is there an absence of oxygen up in <laughs> Canada? <What's>,
3: <laughs> what? <laughs> what am I missing? So, if we think about it, um, oxygen, environmental, right? We can be at altitude. We could be in a, in a cave. But I more gotcha. realistically, yeah. in our day-to-day, if it's a medical issue, if you have a heart attack, if you're bleeding gotcha. out, these are things that uh, are a priority over your survival priorities because that medical condition will kill you in minutes instead of hours. I want to add some some
0: emphasis to what Dr. Tan just told us. You can rank okay. in sequence what you will die from if you are if it is withheld from you, right And so I, I got to mm-hmm. be all in with you on this uh, 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 Timogen that that if without oxygen you're you're dead in however many minutes without minutes, blood right. you're dead. So they learned in Vietnam most of the servicemen who died didn't die from getting shot. They got they died from the loss of blood in the wound for having been shot. And so the first thing you do is stop the bleeding. That's the first thing. Mm, forget absolutely. forget everything else. Stop the bleeding because you will die from that faster than anything else. So I I like and hear more about this sequence, this death sequence that you want to protect mm-hmm. yourself against.
3: Absolutely. So the death sequence, that sounds so <laughs> ominous, but and, uh, and we no, think it about so, that. It
1: sounds so Neil. That's no, what it, no.
3: sounds. <laughs> it sounds. It sounds so mark. Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. So the death sequence, it starts with three minutes without oxygen, three hours without normal thermia, too hot or too cold. Then right. it's uh, three days without water, three weeks without food, um, and then after weeks, and people often forget this and neglect this, and it happens from moment one to moment multiple months, is three months without companionships, connections, or relationships. So psychologically, that could uh, be a huge effect.
1: Now, now do, people, do people go mad or do they actually die? Because we're, the other things you said result in death. I mm-hmm. mean, for me, three months without being around anybody because I have
0: three kids—I <laughs> call that a <laughs> That's vacation. What I'm I call <laughs>
1: that—that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful <laughs> thing. That's wonderful. Yeah, and and, and, and even eleven
1: above. I, I used to think that <laughs> too,
0: and I remembered I—I—I I, I grew up with heavy doses of the Twilight Zone, which predated our time in space, but it knew it was imminent, and many of the episodes mm-hmm. studied loneliness in space. It assumed somehow we would send one astronaut to Mars, right, or whatever. Which mm-hmm. never happened, of course. Plus, NASA's always yapping at you on the on the on the on the channels. But the, 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 they they all went crazy, and I thought, wow. And then as I got older, I, I got to echo what Chuck said here. Not only do I greatly relish time alone, I know people who don't ever want to talk to anybody ever. You give them books or their music, and they're fine. Mm-hmm. So, who is it really true that three months without
3: human contact is for some people is bad? I I can't I don't see that. It really depends on the person. Like you said, some people mm-hmm. need to be alone, want to be alone, and uh, for those people, maybe that could be an option for them. Um, I would say for the majority of people, especially if we just look at uh, the pandemic as an example, and then look at the incidents across the U.S. Uh, for mental the rise of mental illness, we see that disconnect from people can cause disturbances. It did happen to you because
0: so... you were on that alone show. Except how alone could you be if there's a camera on your ass all the time?
3: Uh, solo,
0: solo cams. Solo cam. So that's,
3: that, that's the big thing. All of alone is self-film. The B-roll, that's done at different sites, but it's all self-film. It's you and your three buddy cameras, and you can name them if you want to, but that's your relationship.
0: Okay, that that means it's getting really bad if you start naming your cameras.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, when your cameras uh, play the role of Wilson, you know you've been out there too long. Too long. Uh, Well, you know, it does make sense because um, there is a great deal of research now, some of which I found very intriguing, about solitary confinement Mm. uh, being
0: considered torture. And by the way, what they don't say in solitary confinement is you're not only in solitary confinement; you're in a tiny volume. So right. there's a mm-hmm. size area thing, but you're out in the wilderness, okay. so you don't have the volume problem. Mm-hmm. The, the area volume we have problem. the range, you got the range. Mm-hmm. But but did you feel this emotionally though?
3: Yeah, I'll I'll give you uh, what I what I did as a trick because um, I worked with uh, my patients in a family medicine setting. Um, I also um, been to therapy myself. And uh, a lot of the people that I work with in the medical field are psychiatrists, therapists, cognitive behavioral therapists. So I threw the kitchen sink at this whole experience and did all the coping mechanisms I've ever been taught. Just tried to be uh, as good as I can with uh, that aspect. And one of the things that I really emphasize is finding ways to build relationships with what I got. So that may have been yeah, naming yeah, my yeah, cameras yeah, yeah. that may that have been cameras friends with animals. Oh. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> so do me a favor cuz I'm I am so this is probably <laughs> this is so fascinating. The fact that you spent first of all how how long was it that you were alone? And then second question follow up, what were your top three coping mechanisms? Because you said, you know, you, you, you did everything from family therapy to your psychiatrist uh, or psychologist. So what are the top three and how long were you alone?
3: So I was alone for uh, 63 days. And wow. uh, yeah, yeah, it was quite wow. some time over there. Saw so the, the seasons change. But one of the, the categories of coping mechanisms that I is should be differentiated between drop shock and initial stuff or acute kind of reactions, and what I did on the long-term. For a lot of the initial things, I did uh, breathing exercises, the same thing I did in the the military for shooting, actually, to elevate that parasympathetic nerve response. So bearing down, box breathing, get really chill so I can have a clear head. Um, And then I did a lot of meditation on the acute setting. On the long-term setting, um, it was, for me, how do I make a connection? How do I build a relationship on the land that I am? on, um, especially if it's indigenous land, how do I build that relationship with no one there? And um, one of the things that I practice a lot was gratitude and asking for help, openly asking for help. And one of the To the most, cameras? To whatever was out there. <laughs> okay, I got you. Go mm. ahead. Go for and it. I think a powerful feeling is that when you ask for something, whether that's your ancestors, the spirits of the woods, or God, right. and you right. receive that, that's an right. incredibly empowering feeling that you know that someone has your back. And when you do it once, you do it twice, you do it three times and you do it almost every day and you receive and you receive and you receive. So it it's a manifestation.
1: Like some... Yeah. And, and some people would call that prayer and they're thinking that's a higher power that's actually granting it. Some people call it manifesting, which is why uh, it's just speaking things into existence. You're not literally speaking them into existence, but the fact that you verbalize it, that you hear it, uh, allows you to then manifest it. You're actually doing it, but you wouldn't be able to do it unless you spoke it. Some people, as you said, your ancestors. So, there, I mean, throughout history, there's been so many things uh, associated with that. But I'm, that is fascinating that you actually put that into practice.
2: So, Timur-jin, how how quickly do you? Get to suffer <laughs> mentally, <laughs> right? Oh <my> God. <laughs> in isolation, Damn, that's right compound that because this wow. can't be this can't be Damn good. isn't there
0: is really. <laughs> another way you could add that? I, the, you are hardcore,
2: Gary. <laughs> yeah, like suffered, this dude's <laughs> suffering. Get tell us what you've done, Nick. He's not got a little wicker basket out there for <laughs> sandwiches. Get to the yeah. good stuff. Tell us when you started breaking <laughs> down. Come on. So okay, you know you're in isolation. Mm -hmm. Probably not the best thing, as we've just discussed. But you've compounded that with calorific deprivation. Mm -hmm. Now, surely you really are putting yourself on a fast track to having some
3: disturbance there. Absolutely. And let me tell you, starvation is no joke. You know, um, one of the worst pains that you can kind of feel, especially when you transition between starvation and actually craving, because your stomach shrinks, you're not as hungry, a little bit of food satisfies you. But when you start craving things, and you can't get it. I was craving things that I, I would never eat, the the yellow orange cheese at the corner shop that you dip your nachos in. Yeah, never, and it's not that before, even real I was cheese. Craving that, and um, it's not even real cheese. His, it's not even real his cheese. That's the point.
0: <laughs>
3: so you get into that craving zone. It's like an obsession and a pain that you can't really touch. And uh, I would say that's another form of um, of torture. But when you think about when my suffering uh, first started was after I didn't have a plan. You know, you go in, you have 10 items. You think you know what you're going to do with your shelter, with your food sources. You go right. there and you get whatever resources that the land offers. I caught a few fish the first two days. That's so amazing. Every, every cast I threw, there were bites. Day four, nothing. Day five, nothing. Two weeks pads, You did nothing. everything. I don't think so. There was only four fish that I caught in the first few days, but you overfished the land.
1: You overfished the land with only four
3: fish. <laughs>
0: with only four, fish. no, the producer put the
3: four so fish in because at the beginning. I was, uh, downstream, <laughs> Does,
2: yeah. when you when you're in this isolation, but this mental aspect of survival and isolation is fascinating. I think we'd, we'd all agree with that. Does your brain now engage with kind of? upgrading your senses. Now, are you you know, that much more aware? Does the survival instinct really, really kick in?
3: A hundred percent. So there is an yeah. instinct that is innate to, I think, all humans uh, that are open to that type of experience. If you don't break down and you are in it to live another day, whether that's another day or to win half a million dollars, if you are invested in it, um, your attention does shift. And it is uh, quite a beautiful thing because it's almost like a constant grounding meditative uh, experience where you're sensing with your nose, your feelings, your 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 sound, your taste, like every little sense and every little sound in the woods, whether that's a squirrel sound or a bird that you've never heard before, you get to know every little thing, and it became like almost a research project for me because I was associating different sounds to different behaviors of different animals at different times of the day. And as I got more data, I was able to hunt more effectively. So after two weeks of not getting any animal protein, after some observations and taking some mental notes, I only took shots that I knew I could get at 100% or close to it. And uh, I was hunting for the first time because prior to this experience, I had never hunted. I've shot a recurve bow for seven years, but I never hunted before. So
0: animal protein, that's code for dead, a- for, for, for dead meat, right? Meat. <laughs> meat. Meat, baby. Yeah. I need meat. You start um, craving it. Meat. So, so this craving concept, uh, there was a scene, forgive my cinematic reference here, but in, what's that movie where the Central Park animals go to Madagascar? Madagascar. Okay.
1: It's called Madagascar. There you
0: go. In Madagascar. All these animals are coexisting in the Central Park Zoo and they're all being fed daily. So they're just friends. Then they end up in Madagascar and the lion is hungry. And all of a sudden, the zebra, who I think was played by Chris Rock, is that right? Yeah. Yep. The zebra, who was his friend, started looking like a pork chop or something, or some kind of slab of meat. Right. And in it, mm-hmm. why are you looking like, at me like that? that? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so it wouldn't be a pork chop, it'd be a zebra chop. But but that that was a hint at the psychological shift of what previously mm. you would never consider eating, now looks delectable. So, did insects start looking
3: good to you and other things that you just would never consider eating? Oh. Insects, I wish I had insects because I would have eaten it, but it was so cold by week two that there were not insects up to like three feet deep because I was digging for for things. Mm. Uh, but there Ooh. are parts of animals that I never thought I would eat that I ended up enjoying and craving. Brains, spinal cords, eyeballs, you name it. I was trying to eat Ooh. like up to 90% of most animals that I would take out there because you were that hungry. And 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 and
1: you cook them though, right? You oh yeah. You, you, oh yeah. Okay. I don't know anything about. Listen, man, this is the. You are speaking an alien language to me right now because if it does not come from Whole
0: Foods, <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I am hunting. Okay. <laughs> Plus, if I'm going to be eating Eat. somebody's eyeball, I going not have to cook them first. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Season so, it a little bit. So, Gary, we yeah. cut you off. What else? We got a couple minutes before the segment.
2: And okay, so if we stay on this mental thing, do we now get to hallucination? Ooh. Do we now Ooh, get to Especially in a
0: hunger state? You no, know,
2: yes. Right. Mm. You get now, you talked about indigenous land. Mm-hmm. Do you then kind of absorb some of this spirituality and then reconnect with ancestral? Does it come on like that? Or am I beginning to trip?
3: I think it's a little different for everyone. I can only speak to my mm. experience out there. And since yeah. I was actively trying to connect with uh, those spirits of the lands, those ancestors of the lands and asking for help because I'm, not, I'm no hunter. Um, mm. I was asking, hey, where do I find food? How do I get food? What would be the best shelter? Um, and there was subtle signs of uh, presence there. So there have been, um, the way trees are bent there to make cooking benches and stuff like that. So to see that and to feel that um, and then to gained from the land, it, it did feel like I was surrounded by that type of presence. And uh, mm-hmm. that was incredibly comforting to me.
0: So this is a very powerful mental force really operating is. on you. Because, you know, we we in modern science, of course, we, we poo-poo all of that. But if you're out alone and you need to survive, the fact that you had those thoughts at all, and the fact that those thoughts I mean, are especially prevalent in among native peoples of land prehistoric times, then... You must, you are tapping into something that must go very deep within our species.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it makes sense. So. And, and Timogen, are you um, in any way, uh, as far as your ancestry, connected to uh, indigenous people for this part of the world? Or, you know, na- not this part this? of
3: the world, but um, I would say that I'm named after Genghis Khan, so I'm probably in some way, uh, related to a bunch of different people, genetically. How are you named after
0: Genghis Uh, Khan? Hey, man, we're we're all
1: related to Genghis Genghis Khan. My boy had some
0: children coming out of him. Are you kidding me? How is uh, Timujin
3: Tan named after Genghis Khan? Genghis Khan is a title, King of Kings. Um, He was given that name. His name was Timujin, which uh, meant of iron. So typically given to family members who were destined to be blacksmiths. I did so not know. So he was kidnapped. No he was enslaved. Yeah. Wow. So he became uh, a child slave who rose up against his oppressors and just took over a big portion of the world. Never um, stopped. Yep. Never stopped. Yep, he yeah. Never everything stopped. I know about Genghis
0: Khan was is from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> He's a that fast. is not a deep well, <laughs> Neil. That's a puddle. <laughs> I'm being on. See here, I'm being honest with oh, you. I know you are. And now you're... You are. That's and cool. now you're- no, see, I'm not going to be honest with you anymore because you don't... No, you're going to take your ball and go home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back... Fascinating. See, oh, my gosh. To a- mm-hmm. We're going to return to our conversation with Timogen Tan and we're going to learn uh, more about what he did. Was it a bit of instinct or was it a bit of science that he brought... To his survival, when Star Talk Sports Edition Cosmic Queries Hybrid continues.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx
0: we're back star talk this episode is on stay alive <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I work so hard uh. on my
0: hair. <laughs> I work so hard oh, on my hair. Look at what you do.
1: Baby. <laughs>
3: you got there, Neil. <laughs>
0: oh, dear.
2: This went down
0: very fast. The American culture we're talking about here. Um,
2: <laughs> the songs by the Bee Gees, this they're so, British. Yeah, oh, that's true. But it's an American
0: oh. film. American film. Wow. Okay. We got Temujin Tan. Did I pronounce it your full name correctly? Temujin? Tamogen Just tan time. like a suntan. Uh, tan, tan. Tamajin Tan. Yep. Thank you for you correcting go. me there. Yep. So, no problem. You, you, you were alone for two months surviving. And you have a knowledge of physiology, being hmm. a medical doctor. You also have knowledge of science related to that. Science of an environment. So, could you, could you walk us through uh, the steps of starvation? Which did you experience? You experienced some of that, did you not?
3: I think everyone on the history of alone has experienced starvation to one extent or the other. And uh, it is a very precise um, and predictable sequence of events. Take us through them being, yeah. So it starts with denial. <laughs> it starts <laughs> with <laughs> denial.
1: <laughs> and then it goes to
3: anger <laughs> and acceptance, right? Okay. And then acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> acceptance. <laughs> Absolutely. So you have. Um, Glucose in your blood, right? So your body prepares that. your brain. One of the many sugars,
0: one of the simple sugars, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Exactly. So that becomes depleted within uh, the first day or so. Uh, Then your body kicks into uh, a glycogen breakdown. So your liver and your muscles start breaking down the storage package so that you have more glucose. Within three or four days, depending on your body habitus and your baseline makeup, uh, that's gone. So four days, uh, you need another source of fuel. And right. uh, your body starts to break down both proteins and fat. And then right. soon after that, preferentially focusing on fat. That's kind of uh, what ketosis is mainly about. So the breakdown of fat and uh, the breakdown products of fat or energy.
0: Just to be clear, when someone says they're on a keto diet, they're on a diet that puts their body into that state. Is that correct? Of, mm. of ketosis. Absolutely. Yeah, good, good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, a few things happen to you. You feel like uh, you're run down, low energy, your breath and your, your mouth make Feel different. So I felt like uh, my mouth was really dry and just tasted different. Some people say that their breath smells a little more sweet, but I, I didn't smell anything different. But after that um, stage, you can pretty much cruise. So you feel really, really crummy for a few days, a few weeks even. And then your body starts getting used to that energy source. And even though you may be getting some carbs from berries, from, from little things that you're foraging, it's not enough to pull you out of ketosis unless you find, like, a jackpot of, like, a bunch of things. Uh, like, so, like a stack of pancakes th- around the, the back of a tree. Stack of pancakes. Yeah. Did, you, did yeah. you call it… Yeah. You, Timotin- you find a supermarket. Yeah.
2: Did, you, did you call it cruising? <laughs> you cruise this yeah. ke- keto state.
3: Yeah. So, um, I imagine that's when people who do ketosis for fun or for health queries, yeah. um, they they typically feel bad at the beginning, but then learn to work with it. They learn how to exercise with it and then they're able to function. And uh, that's true in a starvation state as well. Um, so after I felt like I couldn't walk more than a few steps at a time before feeling a little winded or lightheaded, then I was hunting um, like multiple hours a day, no problem. Um, but the scary thing is, once your fat reserves go down, because I packed about 30 pounds on my frame, and once that was all gone, uh, it starts to take from your organ fat. And once that's all gone, your body senses the amount of fatty acids in your blood. And there's a critical level that it reaches until your engine that's uh, saying what fuel you need to take switches very drastically to protein. And you'll notice a very aggressive take of protein off your frame. And we're talking about noticing function loss, gradual and substantial function loss within, within uh, a span of days. That's when your body is eating itself. Eating itself. It's eating, your, itself. it's
1: eating itself. Literally, your muscles are atrophying, not from lack of use, but from your body, like, stripping yeah. them of… As a source um, of energy. As, you know, okay. Of, as, so, as a source of strip mm-hmm. mining. So, right. you've, your body is strip
2: mining itself. You've bulked up, you know, you've, you've put on the lumber, 30 nice. pounds before you go out. So, And how wow. long does it take for you to hit that strip mining phase? Or is it individual? It
3: gives, you, it gives you a little bit of time. So depending on what you're doing, in alone, you're building your shelter. right? right. You, you're not sleeping in a tent or anything like that. So the first few weeks is pretty energy intense. Um, I would expect you would lose about anywhere ah, from a half a pound if you weren't doing a whole lot to a pound and a half a day for the first few weeks. And then afterwards, yeah. it's, it kind of evens out when you get into your groove where you're just like sitting, fishing, checking traps. Uh, expect a pound to half a pound a day of loss no matter what you do so if you're just laying around in your sleeping bag you might be losing half a pound a day
0: well your metabolic rate is- you, you're trying to maintain your body temperature mm-hmm. especially against low temperatures that takes more energy oh, than it otherwise would right. so you're not just you're never not burning nothing Are you- mm-hmm.
1: I just forgot about the fact that we're in the cold right. when we're right. doing this which mm-hmm. exacerbates right. yeah. everything, everything. So when I said,
0: you're never not burning I, nothing. Is that hmm. do I have too many negatives in there? No, that's that's a
1: triple negative. You you went there, you came back, and then you came back I came again. back out <laughs> safely out of that. Yeah, triple you came negative. back out <laughs> safely. <laughs> you're never not burning nothing. You're never not burning nothing yet. So, so, there there Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy,
2: so, are you in that position of luxury to store things? Like, could you store any food stuff? Could you store water? Or is it, you know mm-hmm. what, I'll take it and
0: I've got no way of. I mean, in a pantry, yeah. Did you have a pantry in your
3: store not in there? a pantry? Actually, I did have a little pantry, um, mm. and I use uh, reindeer moss. So it's a lichen, um, and it's a lichen that has fiber. It's a lichen that has uh, some simple amino acids and a low amount of carbs and sugars. Mm. Wait, well, you use reindeer so I what? Have a moss. Reindeer moss.
0: What is what is that? So
3: it's a very, it's uh it kind of looks like a, a little fluffy thing. Not not the, a moss. Not a mushroom. Uh, something in between. So a lichen. And uh, reindeer eat a bunch of it. So I had about 15 pounds of that in my shelter, and I made a big old basket to keep it in and to dry it. So tr- you, you basically took tree slime <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> and, and put What's, it in a basket. You let him use his and own said, words,
0: Chuck. <laughs> 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 and called it good.
2: Yeah, And, and, and
1: said, oh, I got so a pantry.
2: When, when, yeah. I, when I looked at some of the contestants that were involved in the Alone series, and there's been a number of series, they're not all just being airlifted out because they're lonely. Some of them being an airlifted out yeah. because they've got something tainted, be it water, be it food stuff. Mm-hmm. So how, how, are you, how are you going about? I mean, you plus-plus here. You're a medical doctor. But how are you coping mm-hmm. if you're not able to get potable water, if you're not able to yeah, do anything yeah. but drink stuff that's got the wrong kind of amoebas in it? Yeah, because one… One
1: bad encounter with the wrong bacteria Mm -hmm. and goodbye, it's over.
3: Absolutely. And if you look at season nine of Alone, um, about 40% of the contestants got some kind of gastric bug. Mm -hmm. Uh, Namely, Uh Giardi, I think, was uh, the biggest culprit because they were hunting beavers. And it only takes two cysts, so two cysts under a microscope, to get infected. So hygiene, if you have a good idea of how to keep your camp clean... And uh, good, and practice good hygiene. That goes a long way. So don't, so eat, don't eat beavers. Is your what ac- you're saying. Don't eat beavers. Yeah. Well, you can you can eat beaver. Just make sure that you're not using a beaver tail as your plate, which uh, I think someone did and got really Ew. sick. This is crazy. Yeah. This is this so, about, let, let me just
1: say this, and I'm sorry to say <laughs> this.
0: They deserved that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> let me just put it that they des- they got what they deserved. So, Timogen, I get all this. It's man against nature. Man against the elements. But how about man against polar bear? You're in the Arctic. Mm. How do you... Uh, it's not clear to me how you would ever win against a polar bear without a
3: 30-06. Well, if you're hungry 30-06 enough, six would be great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you see a polar bear, it's not because you stumbled upon him by happenstance. He has been tracking you. That tracking guy has you. a huge sniffer. So that amount of muscle and pure feral ferocity you don't really stand a chance without um, kind of modern weapons. You can try to shoot an arrow at him, but that thing, if he charges you and hits you one time, you're pretty
1: much done. So I I read this thing where, and I I can't speak to the veracity, but uh, male polar bears can smell female polar bears from miles and miles away. And Maybe that's part of, to help with the mating process. I'm not sure, but if they have, that strong a sense of smell. I'm I'm sure that food they to smell your
0: ass. Is, is, yeah, yeah. What, food is right up there.
2: <laughs>
0: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, food, sex, and shelter. Two, three things, you know, you gotta. There you go. Yeah. okay, yeah. so you're saying yeah. you're admitting you need modern weapons. You're admitting that. I would say
3: so, unless you have a tribe. But unless so okay,
0: but most survivalist booklets and things are more sort of um, who's that guy? that did a whole TV show with him. Um, uh,
3: Dave Canterbury Bear, is one. No, of
0: no, no. I'm talking about no. It's Bear a, Grylls is another. One. Bear, Grylls. Bear Grylls. Okay, maybe I was thinking of um, <laughs> who's the guy who did everything with duct tape and and, and MacGyver. Oh, MacGyver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Yes, that's the guy. So MacGyver doesn't have fancy weapons. He's he's resourceful mm. with what's around him. But you're saying in your situation there are occasions where being resourceful would never. Uh, improve your survival.
3: You would have to be pretty darn resourceful to make a bomb or something like that, a huge trap for a polar bear. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Hit, hitting them with a snowball is not going to happen.
1: No. Not, no. not, not, not going to no. happen, huh? Uh, yeah. All right, so, so yeah, let's, like,
0: let's get to our cosmic queries. Let's maybe slip one in before our, <laughs> our second break. Okay. So who's got the first one? All right, I'll, I'll jump in.
2: Uh, this one from our Patreon listeners, and thank you. There's some fantastic questions. Aaron Rosenberg, Viktor Frankl wrote in Man's Search for Meaning that when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Dr. Tan, with this and your experiences in mind, what was a survival situation that surprised you the most in terms of digging deep and confronting yourself? And then this flips, and how might these lessons we've learned from survival in extreme conditions here on Earth be applied to long-term space travel or future extraterrestrial colonies?
3: Mm, oh, wow. Really good yeah, question. Yeah.
2: Really good question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Aaron so,
3: showing off. I know, he totally What I get is. from this is how or when, in what circumstance, would we change ourselves to overcome uh, an incredible adversity? Mm. Perhaps that adversity is being alone, specifically in space. And I think the flip for me is after I got some more food, after my shelter was cozy, I was hanging out by the fire, The next question was, why am I still there? You know, Uh, what was my purpose? What was my mission um, at that point? I remember at day 40. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
3: And I think a lot of people get that um, when they're alone and they don't really have a clear reason to be there or to push forward. And for me, um, I actively was searching for that reason. And on day 40, I remember just watching the river and having a memory pop up and it was a memory of uh, something that my mom had told me when I was a kid and that got me thinking about how my mom has um, been through the past years and how far away I've, I have been from her from medical school from traveling and so forth she told me she told me that uh, whatever I did as long as I loved doing it and as long as I tried to be the best at it that she'd be proud of me oh yeah, and she was the type that's of woman lovely. that would fight for any of her kids, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And um, she went through a bunch of health issues, relationship issues, financial issues through the days um, and years and just became a person who was not that person I knew when I was five years old. Okay, yeah. That's... And to wow. to potentially have a purpose out there to say, hey, maybe I can remind her to, to show her the type of person she raised, the values that she bestowed upon me, maybe that would make something click so that she can go back to that person or even think that she deserves to be that person. Wow. And that's what pushed, that's what pushed that's me. That's a pep talk. For someone, that is a pep talk. Yeah. yeah a
0: spiritual pep bro, talk, right? From, bro, from that beyond. Is, yeah, I mean, right.
3: It, but
1: you know what? It's like, it's a spiritual, Um, um, you know, it's, it's spiritual in nature, but it is also so inexorably tethered to what is corporeal
0: that it is
1: it's kind did you of just a put mind. those three words
0: inexorably tethered to the corporeal? Did those three words just that? come out of your mouth in a row? Yes, okay, they did. Okay. Why? All right, fine, fine. I'm just, is that bad? No, no, I guess not. <laughs> sorry.
1: That's just my Beautiful. vocabulary
0: is not ready for that. Okay, go on.
1: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. What I'm saying is it's kind of a, you kind of, it's a mind F in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm mm. saying? But it's, but that's how deep it is. Like, what you don't... That's not something you would have thought of taking a bubble
0: bath, is what I'm saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let me address the space side of that question. I mean, we're, we're in a position, the space voyage, just trick it out with whatever you want. Get the Netflix account, you know, the, the music. I, so I don't see that as a problem traveling to a destination. But when you get there, then <laughs> all of what you're saying would matter if you're yeah. sort of a, um, if, you're, if you're a pilgrim you know, or not even pilgrim. Mm-hmm. What do you call the first ones? If you're the first ones coming in.
1: Pioneers.
0: Settlers, pioneers. Yeah, you'll need some of that. But on, on the voyage, just trick out the spaceship in whatever way you need it to be. One other thing, before we take a break, you commented earlier about mm-hmm. that you started naming things and, and mm-hmm. having conversations with things. That's a recurring theme in at least four films that portray the last person on earth. So, in The Omega Man, and I Am Legend, um, and then there's another film, which is lesser known, The World, the Flesh, and the Devil, which actually had, had Harry Belafonte in it. And there was an Aussie film, actually a New Zealand film, uh, called Quiet Earth. All of those, there's a person who thinks they're the last one on Earth, but they, they're in cities, right? And so, they go into, like, shopping stores, you know, uh, 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 department stores, and they make friends with the mannequins. Mannequins. Oh, the wow. mannequins <laughs> all yeah. have names. Say how you doing today? Right. They dress them differently each time. What's up, Woody? Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> so this is exactly what you're describing. And I'm thinking, man, this mm-hmm. is getting deep inside what the human brain wants to do. Maybe civilization mm-hmm. is squashing that in some fundamental way. We need to let's more yeah. that out. Maybe life would be more interesting and more fun. We got to take a break. When we come back, more cosmic queries on <laughs> Staying Alive! <laughs> You're not
2: very good. Um,
0: <laughs> on Star Talk. <laughs> We're back. Star Talk. Cosmic queries. We're talking about how to survive in the wilderness. Man, man, man it's this is so much deeper than was, I <laughs> thought it would ever be. There you go. Tamajin Tan, who's a survivalist, also a medical doctor, and he he appeared in and was a contestant in series nine of Alone on the History Channel, where you got you carry your own cameras. You're not followed by a camera person, that, then you wouldn't be alone, right? You plus a camera, person. you're alone. You got your own cameras, so this is fast. Every bit of this is fascinating, and it is something I will clearly never do in my life. So, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, Gary, uh, Chuck, you got some questions from our yeah uh, Patreon before fan base.
1: We, before, before we do it, can I just give five dollars right now so I can ask a question? No! <laughs> <laughs> $5 a I month. I'll $5. You, I got six Can I get $5? That's all it is. Can I get $5, I get five dollars on, Because here's what I want to know. One Star Talk coffee. All right,
0: we're going to put this in the in mm. in the in the, in the bin. All right, go, Chuck. We'll
1: put it in. Okay. Everything that we've talked about so far has been so intense mentally. How how did they screen you? How do they <laughs> know that, hey, I'm not going to screw this guy
3: up for the rest of his life by
1: letting him go and yeah. try this?
3: So the screening process is, I think, standard for a lot of TV things. You get a medical check from a doctor, and that's pretty much it. If you don't have okay. a history of it, any kind of mental illness, then that's up to you to describe. Hey, but if man. you do, then I, you chose in other to words, do this. You signed a disclosure. In other words,
1: you signed a release. That's right. No, that's, that's the answer. A okay. There you go. The show, there you go. All Let's right. get
2: another question. Gary, you got one? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ronnie Wayne Gortz from Brooklyn in New York. He says, "Doctors Tyson and Tan and Mr. Nice, what are the best practices to optimize the design of shelters, clothing and equipment for individuals facing a wide range of extreme conditions? And would having a knowledge in fluid dynamics or material science give you the edge in survival?
0: Mm. Yeah, more broadly that science in general really cool. because you know the cavemen yeah. didn't have science but they they managed to birth all of us, right, eventually. Mm-hmm. So how much does science matter?
3: So, science. When you look at, uh, you talked about fluid dynamics. I'll talk about fluid dynamics in the body and also concepts of insulation. How do we retain heat? So we know that uh, heat is lost by multiple different means. So if you kind of halt those multiple different means by insulating, having vapor barriers to prevent uh, evaporation and and, um, convection, that's super helpful. And um, wicking away from your body, so the water is not retained close to your body, so you're not changing the water temperature and transferring that energy from your body's heat to, to elevate that temperature in that wa- water. So that, from a science standpoint, is there. But very succinctly and simply, insulate yourself, have a vapor barrier, if possible, have a layer that uh, reflects heat as well. And uh, also have uh, a way to do that in all parts of your body. Make sure as, uh, as much as possible, cover up. So in Arctic temperatures, all you're seeing is like two little, little holes for your nostrils and that's it. Everything else is covered up in at least three different layers. Um, and when you're looking at your shelter, you want an insulating and waterproof layer that's at least a foot thick. My shelter on the was about two and a half feet thick of um, moss, dirt, and ice. So st-
1: warm and dry is what's Yeah, yeah, one? basically. That's what's, uh, warm insulated, and dry. Insulated, warm, and dry, basically. That's, that's the rule of Okay, thumb. so then what of an
3: igloo? Wow. Igloos are awesome because, again, uh, they're insulated. Um and they're thick, so most igloos are at least uh, a foot and a half to two feet thick, and uh, you're just trapping a lot of your own body heat. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. Uh, if you're not starving and you have a lot of, um, a lot of calories that you're just burning off that heat, a lot of that heat is retained in that structure. Didn't know that. Okay. So that's yeah. Got so you it. can heat up an igloo, uh, for like a ten foot by ten foot with like two candles, and have enough to not need a jacket. Damn.
0: Yeah, okay. Very efficient. Barbecue Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) weather. All right, Chuck, you got a question.
1: Uh, This is Steel Finger 7. Steel Finger 7 says Hello, Neil, Dr. Tan. Hello, Gary. How long can a human survive without water? (laughs) And how long can a human survive drinking only their own urine? I'm asking Mm. for a friend.
0: (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Cause you said three so, days, but I
3: I was remembering more like a week. Um, so three days is typically your your marker, but let's say if you're in a desert or if you are lost and you're already dehydrated, that timeline gets pushed a little shorter. Um, so three days without water is typical your guidelines to work around. If you're conserving a lot um, and not doing much, you can extend it a little bit. But um I know what about what eating you your own drinking
0: with. your own pee, which we hear Done. Mm, we hear yeah, tell. So they say people do that. That is
3: not advisable because that will um, make you a little more dehydrated and help accumulate a lot of the toxins that is the waste product right. in your urine, in your body. So, not advisable. If you can distill it, just like how we do on space stations, that would be uh, an excellent choice. And with some simple tools, a few buckets, um, things that you can carve, you can make an improvised distillation setup in the woods too. Right. Okay, yeah. interesting. I was
1: going to say that's that's the idea of the drink of the pee. It's like uh, what are those suits in Doom that they wear that have Yeah, they the, recycle your sweat, all all of your yeah. body. I thought it was just your yeah, sweat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's
0: kind of cool. Yeah. All right. There you go. Okay, keep going. Who's got the next one? All right, I'll jump in. This is you guys put, never share the questions with me?
2: Just, all right. We, take mm. it easy. Put your feet up. <laughs> uh this is from Nick Smith, another one of our Patreon listeners. Uh During the tail end of a few climbs in the mountains where my partner and I have been moving for over 24 hours, both of us have experienced hallucinations. Mm. I've always assumed they're Mm. from some combination of exhaustion and running on a calorie deficit. I'm curious, however, if there's a medical or psychological explanation for them. And he's also wondering if, Dr. Tan, you know if anyone who's experienced similar events?
0: Well, plus they're hiking in the mountains. There's also less oxygen. Mm -hmm. So you have oxygen deprivation yep. mm-hmm. and the rest of these combined. So what are the thresholds
3: for hallucination? So I, I, I would imagine many people have different um, kind of thresholds because when we think about people who are in the mountains at high altitude for the majority of their life, they don't experience the same things you and I do who uh, come basically from sea level. But you talked about dehydration. You talked about uh, oxygen uh, deprivation. You mm-hmm. talked about calorie deficits. All those things can make you a little loopy. But the concerning thing is, especially if he's hiking at high high altitude, is brain swelling, cerebral edema. So high altitude cerebral edema, which would be a severe effect of uh, being at that altitude. So that can cause some mental changes as well. Um, So hopefully that was not the case and if it was just a little dehydrated and calorie deficit, because when we think about how many calories we need, it's on the scale of over 6,000 kilocalories a day. So um, with altitude sickness, feeling nauseated, not having a, a good appetite, it's very hard to get over 6,000 kilocalories a day in food unless you're eating straight butter. Right, right, right. And just to be clear, uh, a a food calorie, that
0: would be 6,000 calories, but a physics calorie, it's 6,000 kilocalories, right? Because mm-hmm. a capital C is 1,000 so, little Cs. Yeah, I yeah, just want to clarify mm-hmm. that. Um, wow. So, so there's a, a section of the Bible where Jesus goes out into the wilderness and— 40 days and, and 40 I, I don't nights. remember how long. It might have been that long, but he's... Yeah, it's 40 days. Is 40 that right? He, and he begins to hallucinate while he's fasting. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fasting would be a trigger. Well, he, he doesn't call it hallucinating. He's, like, talking to God, right? But mm-hmm. you would expect some <laughs> neurological shift in him. He didn't say, let me go to the Oasis, you know, and eat banquet food and then talk. It's like, let, let us stress the physiology of my body, then I'm susceptible to these kinds of visions. And, and that's what happened there. Yeah.
3: And you, you hit it right on because um, when you're stepping away from homeostasis in your body, whether that's dehydration, calories, or temperature, so I'm not sure if Jesus was having some heat stroke out there, uh, that can all change your mental status. And we see that all the time in The elderly. So they come in, you don't really know what's going Mm. on. And it's just these small shifts that make them have delirium. And uh, that wouldn't be surprising. Okay, interesting. All right. Let's keep it going. All right,
2: uh, Chuck, let me jump in on this one. Um, This is the apocalyptic scenario. So prepare yourselves. Emily Kaneko Reynolds, I hope I've pronounced that uh, correctly. She's from Kyoto, in Japan. How would you prepare for a scenario where all the electricity goes down for the foreseeable future or all our satellites completely power off? Um, what would mm. be th- the top three relatively easy things to have in place for survival? Now, you're a survival doc...
1: One is an AR-15. <laughs> That's one. That's not one. Well,
2: we know what's top and of Chuck's. we Chuck. here We're here
1: in <laughs> Make sure you got enough ammunition. That's the first thing you want to do is go count your bullets. <laughs> count your bullets.
3: Chuck, you're you're not wrong. Okay. Oh no, that's all only needed to hear. don't,
0: don't, 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 don't <laughs> encourage
3: him. Don't I mean, encourage Chuck like that. If you have like all that. the fancy things, all the things you need, and your buddy does just have an AR, then that that stuff is his or hers. You know, unfortunately, that that's the law of the end of the world, right? Wow. So whoever has that power. The, yeah. The law of the so end of the world. So power control. Power control is a, a huge mm. one. So we can talk about sustainable energy. We can talk about uh, food supply for the last years. But uh, if there's an overpowering force, it's not yours anymore. The law of the end yeah. of the world. That
0: why, why do you even have that as a phrase? Damn it, Jim! Damn! <laughs> Not now! Now you're spooking me a little. The law of the interest. Like yes, I've got it up on my wall. <laughs> this is the one. Do you have enough ammo? <laughs> yeah, get, get count, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, yeah, count your bullets. All right, All right, keep going.
1: Count your bullets. Here's an interesting one. This is Kenneth Bon Smellsmore. Uh, very fun, very funny, Kenneth. Mm. Indeed, mm. indeed. Sure. Yes, Smellsmore. He says, "Greetings from Atlanta, Georgia." Modern medicine and technology are amazing and clearly have improved our overall health and longevity. We may not have access to this in the wild. What primitive methods are just as effective as modern medicine? Mm. Are there any that are arguably better? I'm reminded of things like using ants to suture a cut or maggots to clean a wound.
3: hmm I've heard of maggots. I, I haven't heard of suturing ants before. But uh, I would say things very simply um, that you can use in a survival situation or a starvation situation is natural fibers. So one of the biggest complaints is severe constipation, so much so that uh, we have bowel obstructions, and that can turn to Oof. explosions of your intestines. No. Yeah. Increasing yeah. fiber intake is a very simple way to do that. There are some uh, plant mixtures that can be used as tinctures for antimicrobials. But again, there's no head-to-head study. So we can't really say that that's super effective. But what is super effective is removing as much bacterial load as possible. Um, So having a way to pressure wash with semi-clean water, so it might be boiled and cooled with a 60 ml syringe, typically removes enough bacterial load if it's not soaked in feces to uh, let your body heal itself. So the majority of the cuts that I personally get in the field, the ones that I got on alone, I just washed it really well with a pressure wash and let my body heal. Right. So I wouldn't say it's uh, as effective as antibiotics, but it gives your body a fighting chance.
1: Yeah. And believe it or not, that was a big problem in medicine before you know, we started practicing it the way we, we do, uh, called modern medicine. It's just things were not clean. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just just the fact that things were not clean um, made people die mostly of infection. <laughs> yeah, not not really what was what was making them sick or what the injury was. It was the infection that killed them. So cleanliness. Yeah, my my is, grandparents is half the said battle.
0: never go to the hospital because that's where you go to die, and that's what my grandpa says too. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense. So, so only in modern times is let me go to the hospital so I can get better, right? So that had to right. shift over time, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude,
1: oh, that's fascinating. All right, give me more. Wow, all more. right, there's, uh,
2: on, the, on the same theme here, this is e- Evan Fenwick, or that might be pronounced Fenwick. It uh, just depends. It's... Right. This is from Ontario, Canada, so in your neighborhood. Uh, my question is, what is Ooh. the most effective method to stave off infections in the wild? And should you get an infection, what is mm-hmm. the most effective way to treat or manage? I think the last bit we've kind of addressed, but... Um,
3: Personal hygiene, making sure that you're washing all of your, your things that you're processing. Um, so my setup for eating was 100 meters away from where I was processing uh, the meats. And I had um, a few different bins that I would use to wash my hands. You can make a mild soap because we use a reaction between a base and uh, some fat. So whether that's uh, fat from animals or just the grease in your hair, you make a very mild soap by just adding uh, white ash, which is a base, and then water, and then that grease. You make mild yes. soap with that. You say that like everybody uh, knows tens- that. You, you say that like yeah, that of course. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Let
0: me get some grease out of my hair. Yeah.
3: Uh uh-huh. <laughs> I spent all, yeah. I spent all this time on my hair. Now look <laughs> at what you do. <laughs> my hair was great out there. I I I made my own little shampoo.
0: Man, that's crazy. That's great. So, dude, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if we have any time left. Uh, yeah. All right, here's
2: here we go, Neil. One more question. Captain James Last Riley. one, but it's got to be fast. Right, got to be a, fast. Go. Can you really cut off your right. own limb? Wouldn't you just pass out halfway through and wake up with half a cut-off limb? There you go. Because we know we, there are cases like
0: that. Like, the dude wrote a book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, mm. where, that's where he yes! have to cut yep. off his
2: arm. So, is that yes. you're a medically trained survivalist? Is that possible? <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: So, it is possible. But you, if you pass out, the main thing to do is to set up a tourniquet. If it is an extremity, to set up a tourniquet ahead of yeah. time. So ahead if you pass out from the pain, you'll pass out, but then wake up and then see what you're doing. And then if you can, muscle through it and, and uh, cut it through. Because after a certain amount of time, that stop in blood flow will affect uh, your nerves. And then that nerves may make that area feel numb. Another way you can do it is you dunk it in the cold. So you dunk that extremity in the cold, put a tourniquet on it. And then kind of saw that off. You have just given me
1: my new worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. And
0: he ends it and just saw it off. Yeah, now you're ready to just yeah. saw it off. All right. Oh my all right, dude, God. I do. Well, thank you for sharing your expertise, not only Amazing. A book learned, but street learned and wilderness learned, all combined. And uh, this is like, like it or not, this is what a whole lot of people think the future needs. What do you call it? End of what would you say? End. End, Mar- of world, the end, of the end of world rules. Yeah, I, you know, I'll just, I, you know, I'll be gone well before then. So you just, just, but you might want to keep me, me alive because I can tell you where on earth you are. All right, I have that that mm. ability. Well, we'll go and live
2: with uh, Timoji.
0: Yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah, up you're up on our list now, yeah. okay? We got, I'll put you on the cryo stage. There you go. There you go. All right, Dr. Tan, a delight to have you on Star Talk. Thanks for your enthusiasm, your candor, and sharing your life experience with us. Thank you. Thanks
3: for having me, guys.
0: All right, Chuck, Chuck Gary, always good to have you guys. This is my pleasure. Star pleasure. Talk. Stay in the edition <laughs> of Cosmic Queries. Neil deGrasse Tyson here. Keep looking up.